0: like for you you're going to see some scriptures on the screen but I hope you have your Bibles tonight because there are going to be lots of scriptures and I am a longtime believer in taking your Bible to church whether it's a printed one or whether you have to do it as I often do because of because of the size of letters I need on uh, your phone or other device but I hope you have the scriptures in your possession this evening because we are going to use them I have a great big copy because I need the big print. But if you would, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Revelation chapter 19. That is going to be our beginning text for the evening, and I want us to read it together in just a moment. Revelation chapter 19, and we will begin reading with verse 11. We'll read this text and then have prayer together. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. The Apostle John, as he penned the words the Holy Spirit gave to him, this is the Word of God, word for word, as God gave it to John. John said, I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, that sharp sword the bible teaches us is the word of god don't get some kind of grotesque picture you know in your mind of jesus on a horse with a roman sword protruding out of his mouth that's not the picture here at all when he speaks that is the word of god and so we read out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations as he spoke the worlds into existence so he will speak destruction upon the nations at this time. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit And shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage of Scripture which tells us what is coming in the future. And we look forward to this time when the Lord Jesus Christ will take control of this creation of his again and defeat Satan. And tonight, as we look into your scriptures, I pray that the Holy Spirit would bless them to our hearts. May, may this not just be an exercise in curiosity, but I pray that the scriptures used by the Holy Spirit would do something to be of help to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. The topic which I was given to cover tonight is tribulation conclusion. And that's what I intend to do, sticking just to that topic. You've been through six weeks of this prophecy series. And so I am working under the assumption that you know the basics of what has taken place prior to this event we're looking at tonight. The, the rapture has taken place some seven years before, seven plus probably. And uh, the, the great tribulation has taken place and it has been an awful event, such as this world has never seen. A judgment as great as that of the flood in that the flood destroyed all life on the earth, but a judgment also greater in many ways because in many ways it brings more pain and more affliction and brings out what is residing in the hearts of men, which is rebellion against God. Well, those seven years are now just about over as we address the the topic tonight. There have been terrible tribulations on the earth, terrible death, all of those things. And now we come to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in what we refer to as the second coming. At the rapture some seven years prior to this, he did not actually come back to the earth. He came back to the clouds above the earth. And his saints were changed, those who were living. And uh, those who had already died and were in the graves were raised and raised incorruptible. And they rose to meet him in the clouds and he took them with him to heaven. And now he comes actually back to the earth. Now he's going to plant his feet on this planet, on this earth, on terra firma. And so we refer to this as the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as I approach the conclusion of the tribulation tonight, I want to begin with my first point, which is the dragon attacks. This is a fascinating story, which I'm going to tell you through the words of Scripture tonight. And it's an exciting story in many ways. It's a story with much drama, with some suspense, except we know how it turns out. And we begin tonight with the, the, the top topic, the dragon attacks. Now, you know who the dragon is, because we just read that in Revelation chapter 20, uh, verse 2. We're also told back in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that the dragon is none other than that old serpent, the devil, Satan. So when we talk about the dragon attacking, we're talking about Satan attacking. Henry Morris, that great um, creationist, a great scholar of some years back now, he's with the Lord now, but he wrote a book which is a classic. You don't run across it much anymore, but it is a classic, I recommend it to you. It's entitled, The Long War Against God. And Satan has been in a war against God since the time sin was found in him before the creation of this world and he was cast out of heaven. And Satan entered God's creation there in the Garden of Eden. And he tempted Adam and Eve, and they sinned, Adam sinned. And this world was thrown into chaos because of sin. And this world has been suffering ever since. As you look around you in today's society and see the awful things which are happening in so many ways, understand that that is part of the devil's war not so much against us, but against God. And he wars against God's people and God's creation because he hates God. And so this is the dragon who attacks here in the book of Revelation at the conclusion of the tribulation period. And he is Satan, the devil. Now, on the screen, you will see a text of Scripture which I would like for you to follow along with me, and that is Revelation chapter 16, verses 12 through 16, and we see the attack of Satan beginning to take place. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 12, we read, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now, you know where the Euphrates River is today, over there in the Middle East. Fifty years ago, most people didn't know where the Euphrates River was. They had to Look it up in Encyclopedia Britannica. You couldn't ask Google back in those days. But now the river Euphrates is familiar to all of us because there has been a lot of attention on the Middle East in the last decades. And so we see this sixth angel. This is the last seven sets of judgments. So we're almost at the end of the tribulation judgments. This is number six out of the last seven vials which are poured out. And this angel at the direction of the judge Jesus poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. I would also say that we're not just talking about the kings of the countries just east of Israel. Some Bible commentators tend to think so. Those certainly might be involved, probably are involved. But we're dealing now with a worldwide kind of situation. These are the kings of the eastern part of the world. And so if you think of the eastern nations today, I would assume that those nations in some form will be involved in this. And God sends this judgment where the river is dried up so that there becomes a pathway for military equipment, for armies to march into the land of Israel. And so the river was dried up, and verse 13 says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. These are demon spirits, we're told in verse 14. They're unclean. And I saw them come out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, For they are the spirits of devils, these are demons, Uh, they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Not just nations around Israel. This is God's judgment now on the whole world. Israel is the center of it. But this is the whole world. If the United States is around at that time, and I don't know that it will be, the United States is not mentioned in prophecy, and I have thought for a number of decades that probably the United States would lose its influence in the world, and we are rapidly doing that today. So I don't know what our role might be at this time, but the kings of the whole world will be coming. Uh, These lying demons convince them to gather their armies together, verse 14, to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, Jesus says, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. This is a geographic location in the northern part of Israel. Uh, the, the, the old ancient city, the ruins of Megiddo uh, is located there. Armageddon is at, at that great valley which runs north and south in Israel, the, the uh, Jezreel Valley. Uh, I have had the privilege of standing on the mountain there and looking out over that valley which just fades off into the distance because it's so far. And I remember seeing an Israeli air base far away in the distance, but there in the Jezreel Valley with jets, fighter planes, taking off and landing. And this is that valley where Satan is going to gather these kings together uh, to, to fight against God, this place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel, this is the last of this set of seven judgments, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And so the dragon is gathering the, the armies of the world together. He is filled with wrath, the book of Revelation tells us. <clears throat> and the book of Revelation gives us the reason. He is filled with wrath because by this point he knows that his time has come his day is short I think Satan probably as we sit here tonight thinks he's going to defeat God sin deludes you know that don't you people are deluded by sin they think they will never get caught they think there will be no penalty they will escape but that's a lie of Satan but Satan deludes, uh, sin deludes, and I think even Satan is deluded. I think he thinks he's going to defeat God. But by the time he reaches the latter part of the tribulation period, the judgments on this earth have been so severe that the Bible tells us that he comes to this earth. There's, there's a war in, in, in the heavens. And he's thrown out to this earth again. And, and he is filled with anger, with wrath because he knows his time is short and so here is satan and he's gathering all the military of this earth in order to fight against god how foolish how foolish you cannot fight against god with material things and you cannot fight him even spiritually you lose if you do he is god but here is the dragon and he is attacking uh... Then we come to my second point tonight is that as the dragon attacks, the king conquers. Uh, He comes, the king comes traveling. You'll see on your screen Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 through 6. Let me read through that with you. It's a very fascinating Old Testament passage regarding this time, and it contains It contains two questions which the Bible answers for us. As the king conquers, he conquers by coming traveling. And we read in Isaiah chapter 63 beginning with verse 1, the question, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments? Edom is on the other side of the Jordan, it's uh, in southwest Jordan. So this is near the land of Israel now. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? Basra is also Jordan. Who is this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? And here's the answer God gives. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. This is Almighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is coming traveling from the region of Edom with dyed garments. Incidentally, I'm told in the original language here, there's a play on words, on color. And the color, which you'll see even in the English here, is the color red. And so the question, who is this that's coming traveling? And the answer is, this is God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And question two, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? Why are your clothes red, we would say in modern English? And thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. This is the old wine press where they would put the grapes and they would step and stomp on the grapes to get the juice out and it would splatter up on your garments and stain the garments. And here's the answer as to why his garments are red. He says in verse 3, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, not in treading the winepress. As he comes, the Bible teaches us, all of his saints will be with him, but we will not fight in this great battle which takes place. I'm glad for that. I'm not a warlike type person, and I'm glad that Jesus does not have his saints fight for him. He doesn't need to. He is Almighty God. And so this is Jesus who says, "'I have trodden the winepress alone, "'and of the people there was none with me, "'for I will tread them in mine anger "'and trample them in my fury, "'and they're there.'" Notice the pronoun, there. It's not his. "'Their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, "'and I will stain all my raiment.'" For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. And so the king comes traveling. Now, the Bible tells us the story of His coming traveling. And uh, I I would like for you to turn with me to some of these. You're you're in the book of, uh, probably still in the book of Revelation. Turn back into Revelation to chapter 16 for just a moment. In Revelation chapter 16, He comes traveling, we're told, in Isaiah. And in chapter 16, verse 19, we read, as He comes traveling... And the great city was divided into three parts. The great city, the book of Revelation makes clear to us, is the city called Babylon in Revelation. I am personally abs- absolutely convinced, there's, you know, there's some discussion about this, but I am personally convinced that this is the city of Rome. It is referred to in the Bible in a place or two as Babylon, that actual city is. Uh, Peter went there to Babylon, and uh, the great city Babylon, Rome, was divided into three parts. So as he comes traveling, he comes, first of all, by way of the capital of Antichrist. Uh, Again, there's background for this in the book of Revelation, which which comes earlier in the study, and we don't have time for it tonight. But as Jesus comes traveling, he doesn't just poof, make an appearance over Israel. He comes traveling this world. And as he does so, traveling on that great white horse we read about in Revelation 19, as he does so, he comes first of all to the capital city of Antichrist, the city of Babylon, Rome. And, uh, and from, from there, if you will look at over to chapter 18 of Revelation. Revelation chapter 18. We get some great details about his destruction of the city. In Revelation chapter 18 beginning at verse 8 you will read in your Bible there. In verse 8, therefore shall her plagues, that city, therefore shall her plagues come in one day. This is going to be the day of the Lord death, and mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth, who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Incidentally, let me pause there for a moment. This uh, world political empire of the Antichrist is going to be an interesting union between politics and business. Does that sound familiar today? I'm not suggesting that we're in the world of Antichrist today, we're not. But as someone observed recently, probably many people have observed, but I saw one a good student of the Bible who observed recently that as we look around us today, things are not falling apart. He said things are rather falling into place. And so as you see this, uh, this, this unholy alliance between big corporations and very wealthy businessmen and governments and people buying people off and all of that, that will be the kind of relationship that, that the government of Antichrist will thrive upon. And so we, we read the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. So if you can, in your mind's eye, uh, think of the great leaders of the world political leaders, business leaders, the oligarchs of the world, as wherever they're located around the world, some of them probably in their dens in the earth. You know that they're building their dens today, don't you? Some of these underground places that the very wealthy are building, some of them have, they're totally climate controlled and some of them even have sports facilities like tennis courts, all of this under the earth. That's being done today by a number of people. And uh, in any case, wherever they are, these great leaders of the world are lamenting the fact that they're seeing in that one hour the destruction of the capital city of the government of the world through which they are getting so increasingly wealthy. And so they're lamenting it. Verse 11 says, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more, the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones, and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk, expensive clothes and scarlet and all thine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense. You know That's the perfume department in the store. And uh, wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts, the best chops of meat, cuts of meat, Uh, and sheep and horses and chariots. Um, Horses and chariots, I don't know. They're probably called Fords and Teslas and who knows what in those days. And slaves and souls of men, And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all and uh, the merchants of these things which were made rich by her by babylon shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls for in one hour. Now get that. This is Jesus coming traveling. He speaks the word, the sword of his mouth, and the capital city of Antichrist is destroyed instantaneously. It's not, not, a, not a two-month campaign. In one hour, so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off. Um, I don't know who these are, but to, to, to relate to it, you know, think FedEx and UPS and the ships that we saw some months ago lined up off our coast because they couldn't unload all of their stuff. Uh, these people who owned them, Will be crying, verse 18, when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, God says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and be found no more at all. And so you have that little picture of the destruction of that city, the capital of Antichrist. And it's like throwing a stone into the lake or the pond. Here it's a millstone in the sea. And when you do that, the ripples go out from that all the way to wherever. And so Jesus comes traveling, and as he does so, he comes first of all by way of the city of Babylon, Rome. And he destroys it with the word of his mouth. And then he moves on. Look back, if you would, at Revelation chapter 19. in uh, Excuse me, chapter 16. Verse 19, in chapter 16, verse 19, in the middle of that, of that verse, that sentence, you read, and the cities of the nations fell. So the dragon attacks, but Jesus, the king, conquers, and he comes traveling, and he destroys the city of Babylon, and then he destroys the cities of the nations as he travels the, uh, the length and breadth of this earth. And in chapter 18 of Revelation, verse 8, we read these words. Are you turning in your Bibles? Revelation chapter 18, verse 8, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her, and the kings of the earth are destroyed as a result of this. And then in chapter 16 of Revelation, we read these words. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 16, we read, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So now here is, here are, here is the dragon and Antichrist and the false prophet, and they have gathered the nations, the armies of the nations of the world together there in the Middle East. And they're gathered in a place called Armageddon. You've heard of the Battle of Armageddon. And Jesus comes to meet them, and he comes traveling, destroying the kingdom of Antichrist as he comes, the capital city and the cities of the earth. And then, if you will look at uh, chapter 14 of Revelation... Verse 19, we read these words. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. In the scriptures, when you read about the vine of the earth, you're talking about Israel, the nation Israel. And in this judgment that God sends, the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So Jesus comes traveling. The king conquers, coming traveling by way of Rome and by way of the cities of the earth and then down into the land of Israel by way of Megiddo, Armageddon, and there to Israel because Israel is being judged in all of this also. And if you will watch the screen, I want to read to you in connection with this, Some words from Zechariah chapter 14. In Zechariah chapter 14 and uh, beginning with verse 1, we read these words. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then, after that, shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And we read in verse 4, And his feet, as Jesus comes traveling, having made his circuit around this earth. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel, Yea, ye shall flee there like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. And so Jesus comes to the land of Israel where his people are just about ready to be wiped out. There is a nation in the Middle East today, Iran, which has bragged for years now that they're going to wipe Israel totally off the map. That is their great goal. They, they talk about it daily. It's in the news here all the time. They intend to totally destroy Israel. And as the dragon attacks, this world is about to do that. And as Jesus comes traveling, there he comes to the land of Israel, which he's judging also with all of these armies there in the land and he comes to his city the city of his heart Jerusalem and there are some of the Jewish people left in the city who have not died great numbers of Jews will have died by this time sadly and there will be the Jews who are still surviving but they are surrounded and they're about to be wiped out and Jesus comes to rescue them and in Zechariah we read about his coming in, uh, on the screen there in verses 1 through 5. And then we come to the third point in this story that I'm telling you tonight. And that is, uh, f- first of all, the dragon attacks. Secondly, the king comes traveling and uh, he conquers. And thirdly, I want you to see that Israel is saved. I, I, I can tell those who hate Israel in this world today that you're not going to win. There's going to be some terrible hurt. But you're not going to destroy the Jews. God has promised that. And the Bible tells us how it's going to end. Turn uh, well, it's on the screen. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 9. We read these words and what words they are. God says, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me. This is Jesus coming now. The Jews in Jerusalem about to die will see him. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced on the cross. 2,000 years before, at least. And they shall mourn for him as one, that sh- as, as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day there shall be a mourning as the mourning of Hadadrimmon in the valley of Megiddon, And the land shall mourn. Now, now get this. Some people who don't, sadly, some believers who don't like the idea that Israel is going to be saved, even though the Word of God says that, some some people say, well, salvation comes as an individual thing for individual people. You don't just see a whole nation. God doesn't just wave a wand over a nation and the people become believers, well that's true. It doesn't happen that way, it is an individual thing. But notice that, that we read in verse 10 that God would pour out the spirit of grace and of supplications, he will draw these people just as he drew you to himself. And they will, they will repent and mourn individually. Look at verse 12, and the land shall mourn, every family apart. "...the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart..." "...the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart..." "...the family of the house of Levi apart, and the wives apart..." "...the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart..." "...all the families that remain..." "...every family apart, and their wives apart..." "...and so as God pours out His spirit of grace and supplication..." These people recognize that this one that they see coming, who has come to the Mount of Olives, this is someone that they know about. This is Jesus whom their fathers crucified so many hundreds of years ago. And all their hearts are smitten, their hearts are broken when they realize that they have crucified their own Messiah. Messiah and so their hearts are broken and they repent and in chapter 13 verse 1 we read in that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of david and to the inhabitants of jerusalem for sin and uncleanness and so the the surviving jews in the land of israel see their messiah and realize that he is their savior And they come to him and call upon him just as you and I have done. And they are saved. And uh, there's a very interesting verse in Romans chapter 11, verse 26. I won't have you turn there for time's sake. But the Apostle Paul writing says, And so all Israel shall be saved. On that day, the nation, the people who were left which is a pitifully small number, but they will turn to Christ and they will believe on him as their savior. And finally, in this story tonight, not only is Israel saved, but the judge of all the earth judges the nations. On your screen, you'll see a passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter two, and it's a beautiful passage. We read, the, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. That's in Jerusalem. It's talking about the temple. The God's temple will be established there and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the Lord God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so Jesus, the judge of all the earth, judges the nations. Now I'm not going to have you read it tonight because of time, um, but if, if you will jot it down and uh, perhaps read it on your own sometime. In, in the book of Matthew, Jesus addressed this in his in his Olivet Discourse, as we call it, when he was talking about these last days. And in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus talks about the fact that that he is going to judge the nations. And in that passage of Scripture, he talks about the nations who have been kind and helpful to his people, the Jews, as they were suffering under the terrible tribulations, and helped rescue many of them and save their lives. He calls those nations sheep. The nations which tried to destroy the Jews, he called goats. And he said that those who were the sheep will be blessed to the Lord, they'll be welcomed. Those who are the goats will be turned into everlasting fire and judgment. And so when Jesus comes at the conclusion of the tribulation, he comes to see the dragon who has lined up the whole world against him. He comes traveling and he comes conquering. And Israel is saved and the judge of all the earth judges the nations now i don't know when this will be we do not know the day or hour when the lord jesus christ will come we do know the times and seasons the bible makes it very clear that we're to understand the times and seasons paul wrote to the thessalonians about this that they they knew the times and seasons as a matter of fact in the book of hebrews that verse that you all know which tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together we like to focus on the fact that we should not uh, abandon attending church but if you'll notice that verse goes on to say and so much the more as you see the day approaching you're supposed to know and understand that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is near so I don't know when these events will take place will they be 10 years from now I don't know they certainly could be Our world conditions are such that you can see these things, the possibility of these things. And the tribulation period is only seven years in length. So I'm not saying tonight that this is going to be 10 years from now, but I'm saying we had better understand the times and seasons and know that it is near. Which leads me to my question for yourself and to me Are you ready? there may be some here tonight who do not know jesus as savior you do not know that you're going to be okay once you die well dear friend you're not okay unless you come to jesus the bible tells us that god gave his only begotten son to die for us so that if we believe in him we will be saved And if that's your case tonight, I would invite you just in the privacy of your own heart to cry out to him right now while you're sitting there and just say, Lord Jesus, I'm in trouble. I know I'm a sinner. And I do believe that Jesus is the son of God. And I believe he died for me and he rose from the grave. And I'm asking you, please save me. Please rescue me. If you will pray that he will. And you won't have to worry about these things. If you know him as Savior, which I think most of us here tonight do, how are things with you? If he were to come in the rapture tomorrow, would it be okay? Or will we be ashamed, terribly embarrassed? If there are things that you should get right between yourself and him, why don't you do that in the privacy of your heart? Ask him to forgive you. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So my question is, how, how is it with you? Are you ready?